Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Philippians 1, 3 through 11. I thank my God every time I remember you. I always pray with joy in my every prayer for all of you because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am sure of this very thing, that the one who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is right for me to think this about all of you, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, all of you have become partners in God's grace together with me. For God is my witness that I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love may abound even more and more in knowledge and every kind of insight so that you can decide what is best and thus be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Well, good morning. So glad you have tuned in. We miss you all so much. Uh, But we're excited today to launch a new series uh, that Mike Bream and Daniel Starnes and I will sort of team teach together. We're going to look at the book of Philippians uh, in a series called Confined and Content. Philippians is uh, one of a handful of epistles uh, that uh, Paul wrote while he was in prison in Rome. And so... um, in our current circumstances, being shut in, it's particularly relevant to us. Now, if you know anything about Paul, Paul was a mover and a shaker, full of energy. He was the essential architect of the Christian movement in, uh, in its early stages. So he traveled all over the Mediterranean. He would enter a city. He was a great evangelist, and he could disciple anyone He would speak to anyone, relate well to people, and then he would start these churches and and move on and start another one. And he paid a really high price to do it. I mean, he was kind of an unstoppable figure, and they tried everything they could to stop him. So he was pretty energetic and and, uh, used to a lot of frantic activity, saw a lot of success. And I'm sure he had big plans of the places that God wanted him to go. But all of a sudden, it comes to a halt. No progress. Surely, this would have been a little depressing and demoralizing for a guy like Paul. But uh, you think it would have made him kind of like us, a little nuts, a little needy, neurotic. But this is what he says at the end of the book. He says in chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, he says, I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment. Whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing, I am able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. Somehow, Paul is confined but content. And he's going to teach us this secret. 
And it sort of begins in your mind. Uh, it's, as Paul's going to sort of unveil in this book, it's a way of thinking. There's a certain kind of perspective that is a big part of this secret. Uh, in fact, he'll use a word for thinking and a synonym for it like 47 times in the book, more than any other word. And that leads to a kind of a joy and a peace and a contentment, which is the second most uh, used word uh, in the book. And so it begins with a, a mindset or a focus, even an opinion, so sort of a way to uh, examine things. Now, uh, the Philippians are struggling more with Paul's confinement than he is. He's actually helping them process and think about life uh, so that they stay on track, no matter where they are, all, at all times and in all places. Uh, now, I'm going to say this at the beginning of the book. This is next level spirituality. And I really think that confinement presents us with an opportunity to attain it because clarity can come. I don't know if you've seen these pictures uh, that they're showing on the Internet about the, uh, the pollution decrease um, since everyone's been, you know, confined. It's, it's incredible. If you look at these images of New Delhi and Bangkok, you can see just a radical shift. I've been to New Delhi. It's, it's unbelievable, the clarity with which you can see uh, drastic. I think it's a great parable. There's an opportunity to see clearly in these particular circumstances. Uh, probably one of the best articles I've read is by Julio Vincent Gambudo. It, it's called Prepare for the Ultimate Gaslighting. If you read the article, you can understand what he's saying. It's a great read, but he's concerned that we will quickly forget the lessons we've learned in quarantine and the whole idea that the world has come to a complete stop. He knows it's hard, but he pleads saying this, please don't recoil from the bright light beaming through the window. I know it hurts your eyes. It hurts mine. But the curtain is wide open. What the crisis has given us is a once-in-a-lifetime chance to see ourselves in the plainest of views. And I think he's right. We have an opportunity right now to learn with clarity about the spiritual life, about our own spiritual uh, lives. So, Paul's confinement involves, as you would imagine, in prison he's chained to a guard. Extremely horrible conditions, very uncomfortable. Uh, no privacy. Uh, the guards probably take shifts, so he's always got one with him, whether he's sleeping or going to the potty. Every movement is restricted, and there's no certainty about the future. These are circumstances we can relate to right now. Uh, but I know some of you are like, uh, well, actually, that Roman prison sounds pretty good. I'd give anything to trade places with Paul. Uh, I mean, if he's not having to cook or homeschool, uh, I think I would, I think I'd trade places with him. I don't know if you've seen this video of this guy on YouTube asked if, uh, how he, where he wants to spend his quarantine. Watch this. Because of coronavirus, you are going to be quarantined 
but you have a choice. Do you A, quarantine with your wife and child, or B? B. <laughs> B. B. Well, what Paul has to teach us uh, will help in all circumstances. It doesn't matter if it's a prison, it could be a home, it could be a hospital. Um, you could be busy or you can be bored. The opening paragraph uh, of this letter that we're going to look at sets the tone for the whole book. Uh, the seeds of all the major truths of the book are here, and they are set in the context of prayer. The only way to rise above my circumstances, to make progress spiritually, is through prayer. We simply must pray. It's like spiritual breathing. It's air in the lungs. It's, 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 it's what a ventilator is um, to someone struggling uh, to breathe right now. Uh, it's a lifeline. Without it, you regress. You become spiritually vulnerable. And inner peace simply is not possible without it. So, in an effort to help you not lose any ground spiritually in these circumstances, we want to show you a couple of things, your need for prayer and what it looks like. And in verses 3 to 11, it's really one long sentence. And you'll see Paul does three things, helps us with three things in prayer. First, we see that he prays. Second, we see why he prays. And then what he prays for specifically for them at the end of this sentence. And that we will look at next week. So verses 3 and 4 say, I thank my God every time I remember you. I always pray with joy in my every prayer for all of you. Now, I want you to notice simply when you look at that verse, he prays. And he prays regularly. Prayer is the kind of thing you and I tend to want to talk about more than actually do. But if you notice, the prayer connects him to people, makes him grateful, and it makes him joyful before God. So I want to suggest that prayer expands Paul's heart. It connects him to others at a time when he's disconnected from everyone. So his heart is enlarged as he enters the concerns and needs of others. Their pain. I mean, obviously, he's not with them. But he's moved by the thought of them. So that his prayer literally elevates him above the circumstances that he's in. And, and sort of functions like a, like a breath of fresh air in what had to be sort of a nasty uh, confinement. Prison cell. So what we learn in here, in prayer, nothing is too far away. I can be transported anywhere. This is sort of how Paul breaks out of his confinement just a little bit. You know, keeps himself from going stir crazy. You can be in a hospital room in prayer. You can be in someone's home. You can be in another state. You can be in another country. Uh, I have been praying for people in homes I've never been in or ever seen or ever met. Uh, I don't even know them. Some of them are sick. Some of them are jobless. Um, I've been in an ICU praying alongside a great friend, a little younger than me, 
hanging on for dear life. I've been at the bedside of some very lonely elderly parents who can't be by the side of a loved one. Or the wife whose husband passed away in a hospital without her. I've been in India praying for the many needs there. Praying in Honduras and St. Lucia where there's great desperation and hunger. You see, in prayer, (laughs) I realize there's a lot of room in my heart for hurting people. And as my heart is filled and enlarged, it's transported in the presence of God so that my own spiritual capacity increases. My own inner life expands. Uh, And this is how I've been starting my own prayer times. It's been a great way to enter into a time of prayer is just praying for other people. And I find it's much easier to pray for other people than myself. And so my heart's a little more prepared when it's time for me to, you know, to sort of look inward. You know what VO2 capacity is? Um, Talking about the efficiency of the lungs uh, to transport oxygen to your muscles, especially uh, when you're active or under stress. Uh, I've told you before, I think I got tested and, and I, uh, I'm like a, a 43. And I think 45 is about normal, so mine's not that great. But elite athletes are like 80. I mean, they can just go under stress. It's sort of uh, mind-blowing. And Paul is essentially saying in this simple verse, he really has a high VO2 capacity. Um, we're talking about um, calm under stress. And what happens in that capacity is you're praying for other people. You, you can sense this happening. Your heart becomes more loving, more compassionate. Uh, you become a little less demanding. You can feel it. Uh, less, uh, less petty. You take less for granted when you're praying for other people. So anytime I'm before God, connecting with the very source of life itself, then my own heart is expanded and impacted. And that's such great preparation for prayer now as I look inward in my life. Uh, Which brings me to the second point that I want to make. Let's look at why Paul prays. We saw that he prays, but let's look at why he prays in verse 6. It's a very familiar verse. He says, for I'm sure of this very thing, that the one who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. And this gets right to Paul's understanding of the spiritual life and right to the essence of prayer. He says, God is at work inside you. In other words, God's behind the whole spiritual enterprise. Confinement is not a hindrance to his work. And this is really hopeful because he says the start of this whole thing is God. And the end is guaranteed. God will finish it, whatever he has started in you. So again, outward circumstances cannot change that. And so Paul's sort of 
um, exhortation to the Philippians. Keep moving. Keep progressing. Uh, A stop in life as you knew it must not not bring a halt to my spiritual life. In fact, in chapter 1 and verse 25, a little bit later in this chapter, he says, I know I will remain with you for your progress and joy in the faith. There they are. Progress, joy. One of the sure killers of, the, of, of joy and peace and contentment is for spiritual progress to halt. And Paul is saying prayer is essential to spiritual progress. It's, it's a work of God. And so, let me, let me see if I can put it to you this way. The first clue that you really want to grow, that you want to make progress in this sort of spiritual life that God has begun in you, is to pray. That's the first clue. And certainly praying means that you know you cannot do it without him. That it's unattainable uh, without him. Uh, you say, well, what does prayer look like for that? So I got a, an idea of what it means to pray for other people. Some idea. What does it look like to pray for spiritual progress in my life? Well, at the end of, toward the end of this sentence, Paul will say, he'll tell you what the end looks like. You know, God's going to finish, God's going to end, there'll be this day of Christ that we'll all get to the end. And Paul says, I want you to be sincere and blameless. Those are the two descriptions. So if prayer um, for others takes me to faraway places, and expands my heart, then this kind of praying actually stays within me and deepens my heart. It's a little more painful kind of praying. Um, so the word sincere or, means pure, and it has to do with your motivation, all right? What drives you? Um, the other word, blameless, is more of a relational word. It has the idea of not being offensive to people. Uh, So clear paths in your relationships, no obstacles. Um, So Paul's looking at your deepest level. He wants to know what's driving you right now and, and what obstacles to relating well are in your life. Now, when you start praying about these things, now you're going to start making spiritual progress. Uh, Because you're going to ask, what am I really after? And it's only in these moments of quiet that you will address those. Uh, Diodacus, okay, a fifth century ascetic, has this great little parable, he says. He uses the image of fishermen, you know, being able to see clearly. Uh, he says, when the sea is calm, the eyes of the fisherman can penetrate to the point where he can distinguish different movements in the depth of the water. So that hardly any of the creatures who move through the passways of the sea escape him. But when the sea is agitated by the wind, she hides in her dark restlessness what she shows in the smile of a clear day. So you're going you're gonna to look at the different depths of your heart. And you're going to uncover things. You're going to uncover things uh, like your insecurity. You're going to find pride. You're going to find greed and envy at work at least as it relates to that uh, motivation. 
Then as it relates to the relational side, you're going to find anger. Sort of a lingering bitterness at times. Maybe an unforgiving spirit or a demanding spirit. And you'll see the obstacles in your relationship. Now, all these things actually cause lots of anxiety and frustration. I mean, they rob you of the contentment and peace that Paul is trying to, to lead us to. Now, this takes all kinds of uh, special reflection uh, in your prayer times. This is why it helps to read the Psalms. I'm going to remind you of that. And, um, I mean, I'm on my third, read, third reading of Genesee Diaries. If you still haven't read that by Henry Nouwen, it's profoundly helpful, helpful in, this, in this regard. He'll say this, Contemplative life is a human response to the fundamental fact that the central things in life, although spiritually perceptible, remain invisible in large measure and can very easily be overlooked by the inattentive, busy, distracted person that each of us can so readily become. The contemplative looks not so much around things, I love this line, but through them into their center. And through their center, he discovers the world of spiritual beauty that is more real, has more density, more mass, more energy, and greater intensity than physical matter. Whenever you get to a place where you're dealing with these kind of depths in your heart, you will find real spiritual beauty. You will encounter spiritual reality. Uh, So in prayer, then, let's watch, as I talk to God about these issues and I find out what's causing me inner turmoil and I lift that up to him, or I identify the thing that's causing me to offend someone or causing offense to someone, you know, mistreating others. As soon as I bring those up to him, I allow him to enter them and I give him a chance to fill the need as I feel some kind of emptiness inside of me that frightens me and makes me act inappropriately. So in talking this out with God, I can be brought to what Henry Nouwen says is to paths that lead to light. And I love that line. What you want is your world to be lit up to new options. And the powers... Uh, that have me in their grip no longer seem invincible. Now, I know this is hard to understand, uh, but I've had some extended times of prayer in this confinement. And so I kind of want to illustrate this. It's a little personal, uh, but I'll, I'll share it with you. Um, so, you know, Sean and Whitney, who are our, our friends and, and uh, missionaries in Honduras, well, they, they were here here recently over because we were having our missions time. And Mike and Beth Bream, they stayed at their house. And so Mike was telling me that uh, he and Sean were talking and said, uh, Sean asked him, you know, how many books do you think Pete will read uh, during this confinement? And Mike's response was, all of them. Well, uh, I haven't gotten that out of my head. So in a quiet time recently, I was reflecting. Um, This time, for some reason, has created sort of an unusual anxiety um, and need to take in all the information that I can possibly get. 
and there is uh, this pressure to sort of keep up. And it's really driven by fear. You know, that I want to know something. That I, that I want to, the last thing I want to look like is that I'm incapable or that I'm stupid even. Uh, I want to impress. Use ideas and insights to sort of keep up an image. And the truth is, it's exhausting. And fills me with lots of anxiety. Um, It's not the only reason that I read. I mean, I genuinely love it. It also benefits me too. But I'd be lying if I said that I didn't do it to impress sometimes. And I, I guess at the bottom of that, there's this insecurity and a need to be loved for something. And maybe it's because I read a lot. Um, and I was sort of having this quiet time with God and sharing that with him, and I teared up. I had enough time to process it. And these words come to mind where God says, you know, I love him. Why do I love him? Why do I love God? Because he first loved me. He loved me when I was unlovable. You know, and when Paul says he began a work in you, that means that from the very beginning he loved me. When I knew nothing, when I hadn't read a book. And it felt really good to consider that, to reflect on it. It was good for my soul to be reminded that God's not impressed with my reading and that I don't need to read more books. If I never read another book, he'd still... Love me. And it's sort of the beginning of how you get rid of an idol. Because uh, now and again says sadness is the result of attachments. And he means by that false attachments. So I've written out a number of prayers. Um, I think about, uh, here's a prayer you might pray. Uh, In my heart, this battle rages, and I'm often too desperate and needy. My requests are often prayers for just security and satisfaction. And I want to find some, I want to find all those things in you. Forgive me for seeing you and using you for my own personal benefit. And then I have a, uh, another prayer I wrote out. It says, I'm fully aware of the desires of my heart that are alien to your ways. And they're annoying to me. And they're unwanted. But they're powerful. Give me new ones. Remake and redirect me. Satisfy my soul in you alone. Those are the kind of prayers they pray. That's what they sound like. And this is Paul's secret. If God's going to shut down all my activity, that's fine. Um, I'm not frantic. I'm not dependent on my accomplishments to earn love, respect, or to impress. It's the realization that God loves me. Without prayer, I am bound to regress. Do more. Be dependent on circumstances. 
So I'll say it again. We have to pray if we're going to make spiritual progress and not regress. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, I saw this article. Um, Google's had more searches on the topic of prayer since the quarantine, since the confinement, uh, since the whole virus, uh, than, than in recent history. They just skyrocketed. Literally, the article says prayers have skyrocketed, and it's global everywhere, directly related uh, to our circumstances. So I want to say to those of you who say, you know, I don't know, uh, really, I don't really have a relationship with God. I wouldn't even know where to begin to start to have one in, in my prayers. Well, it could sound something like this. Um, God, if you're there, show yourself to me. I would like you to begin a work in me. Because I'd like to have a guaranteed future. I want to know what it feels like to love you. Because you loved me first. I didn't have to earn it. You just love me. If you pray that prayer, God will, God, God will come into your life. That's what he wants to do more than anything else. Why he died on a cross for your sins. Father, I lift up anyone in our audience who might be desiring to know you better. That they'd be led to prayer and realize their need and desperation for you. Thank you for your word. We look forward to learning Paul's secret to peace and contentment. In Jesus' name, amen.